Go ahead and have a seat. Today our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Imagine the unimaginable kingdom of God to come in the parable of the faithful servant. Stay awake, be ready, because we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus gives us three pictures of being awake and ready. He talks about Noah and the flood, two men, two women, and then the wise and faithful servant. Oh, excuse me, the thief in the night. Noah. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. See, in the days of Noah, before the flood, sin had built up to such a frenzy that God looked down on us as as humanity and was sorry that he made us. People were consumed by the daily events of just eating and drinking completely unaware, doing their daily normal lives with no mention of God. They were marrying and giving in marriage, which promotes this concept of this busyness had just gone from generation to generation to generation. They were unaware of God or ignoring God or burying God under a pile of their distractions and busy lives. Now, the main point of this act of judgment with the flood came also with this incredible act of grace to save. And here's what we can learn from this point, that there are many people who are unaware of the promised return of Jesus, not just people outside the church, but people in the church too. Many of us we, we, we know it, we talk about it, we mention it in our creeds, we'll say it in the Nicene Creed today, that we believe Jesus is coming back. But do our lives reflect it? Right? Or do we keep our hearts, the, our souls, just the, the core inside of us, more focused on how do we find security and safety in this world and not the next? I don't know about you, but for me, it's so much easier to keep my eyes focused on the kingdom of God to come when life is filled with challenges and troubles, right? It's, it's easy for me to long for the world put right again when I look around and I see how wrong the world is today. But when we have plenty of food, enough to drink, when our family life is just chugging along and, and looks good and it's smooth sailing, even keel, well, it's in those moments that we're less likely to be vigilant, to, to keep watch, 
to stay awake for the second coming. And even in this act of judgment with the flood, there was an enormous act of God's grace. You know, Noah and his family, they weren't exempt from encountering the flood, but they were rather saved and delivered through it. 1 Peter 3 ties the imagery of the flood together with our own baptisms. It's interesting, in a traditional baptismal font like we have in the narthex in front of the sanctuary, we have an eight-sided font. That's a very traditional design. Those eight sides were very intentional. They represent the eight souls that were alive and spared on the ark. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, the eight of them. It's also the number eight is a a special thing for for Jewish uh, young boys who are circumcised on the eighth day. And then, of course, it was the eighth day, if you count Sunday through Sunday, that Jesus rose from the dead. For all those reasons, we connect with that baptismal font and what God has done with us. And just like God brought Noah out of the floodwaters to save him, God brings us out of our baptismal waters to rescue and redeem and save us. And the Spirit of God, in that sacrament of baptism, the Spirit of God calls and awakens in us this ability to stand and be ready. And then Jesus moves from Noah and the flood to two men and two women. And this is an all-inclusive kind of picture, both male and female. Jesus shares that his, impact, his coming, his second coming, will impact everyone. Those who are awake and ready, who are filled with faith, will enjoy that day as grand and glorious as it can be. Everything put right. But those who are caught asleep and unprepared, whose eyes have not yet been opened by faith, will be filled with terror and sorrow. But for better or for worse, there will no, be nobody that will avoid his coming. And the learning on that, as they're at their daily lives working, it's important to remember that the ability to work is a gift that God gives us, to be productive, to be fruitful, that he uses to put daily bread on our table. But we don't just work as the world works. We work with this thing called vocation which is that wherever we are, Jesus is intentionally calling, equipping, sending, and restoring when we fail us to live our Christian life everywhere we go. That as employees and employers, we shine the light of Christ by our words and by our actions. We stand apart. Or if you're retired, you you stand apart in your social circles, in the places where you, you give and volunteer. Or for the students that are in this room, you stand apart from everybody else. You look and sound different in your classrooms as your words and your actions display the faith that you have. He fills us to do that in our vocational lives. And then Jesus talks about the thief in the night. It's a little tiny mini parable that Jesus teaches that his return will be a surprise. And in an interesting twist, Jesus puts himself in the role of that thief who, who breaks into the world. And for those who, who are not awake and are not ready, they'll be totally caught off guard. They'll be completely in the dark, and they'll experience total loss. But this is not for us to fear, right? Awake and ready, we are not in darkness. We are in the light. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. You are not. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You see, if we are awake and ready, Jesus won't come like a thief in the night. He'll come as a surprise 
visit from a lost friend that we could not wait to see again. Stay awake. Be ready. By now it should be pretty clear that we're supposed to stay awake and be ready. But maybe not so clear as to how we actually accomplish that. What does that practically look like in our lives? Fortunately, Jesus clarifies that in the second part of our text this morning. But I think that many people perhaps have a wrong instinct as to what it means to stay awake and be ready. Because it sounds like it's something we're supposed to do, right? By our own efforts, by our works. That when he comes, hopefully he'll catch us in the middle of a good work. Like he shows up and you're, you're just wrapping up this just most amazing act of service to somebody else. But what if you just did the most amazing thing and Jesus came like two minutes after and he missed it? Maybe we should keep a logbook, right, that just records all of the amazing things that we do. But one of two things is going to happen if we go down that road. Number one, we'll inevitably get to a place where we will either wonder if we've ever done enough. Like, how much is enough? And cause doubt. Or we'll swing the pendulum to the other side of the extreme and we'll be filled with so much self-righteous, ugly pride that we have nailed it. And we have finally done enough to prove God that his love is, is, is placed well with us. But each one of those, each one of those just result in living in darkness, falling asleep, not being prepared or ready and totally vulnerable to judgment. No, there's, there's another way. There's a better way. In fact, there's the only way to stay awake and be ready. How do we do this? Well, I want to propose today that we call it a parousia drill, right? We have weather drills. We have fire drills. It's when you, you, you run from a burning building or you hunker down in a, in a safe room during a, a hurricane. We know what we do. We practice that. We prepare for it so that when it comes, we're ready. Well, it'd be a good idea for us to do a parousia drill. Now, parousia is the Greek word for Jesus' return. When he comes back in the fullness of his glory, the kingdom of God is finally here. The kingdom to come is now, and the world is put right. The parousia. So we need a drill to be ready for when the parousia comes. Because what we seek salvation from is far more dangerous than a burning building or even a Category 5 hurricane. Because if we are asleep or unprepared, the reality is missing out on the blessing of the parousia and instead encountering incredible and extreme and total judgment. I have a commentary that I love reading about this. He always puts things in a, in a fresh kind of language. His name is Kappen, and he says this about the weeping and gnashing of teeth that our text writes about. All that is out there is an eternal, stinking pile of self-pity festering its way to an equally eternal production of angry gas. The damned are not a crowd of wistful types pining away for the wonderful idea that some mean scorekeeper of a god did not get them out of. But they're a bunch of unreconstructive haters who threw away the best deal they were ever offered and now can't find anybody but themselves to be furious with. You see, this parable that uses judgment-oriented imagery actually provides a resolutely grace-governed presentation because Jesus is the one who is overseeing our parousia drill and he tells us exactly what's necessary to be ready. Listen in verse 5. Jesus describes the servant who is found awake and ready as having two very important qualities. 
This is how we stay awake and be ready, these two qualities. He calls the servant faithful and wise. Note that he doesn't call him obedient and worthy. This faithful and wise servant, just like us, has been called into a life of service in God's kingdom to feed the master's household. He's been equipped for that service. He's been sent for that service. And when he fails, he's been restored for that service. And we share that with this wise and faithful servant. It's our own Jesus adventures, vocationally, wherever we are in our life. We too are called, equipped, sent, and restored. We're intentionally living out our faith in our words and actions in our everyday lives, at home, at work, at school, and in our neighborhoods. So it's good to be faithful and wise. It's how we're found to be awake and ready. So let's take a closer look at those two. Faithful. I cannot say this enough, that in the New Testament, the opposite of sin is never virtue. The opposite sin is not righteousness. For us, the opposite of sin is faith. Paul says it over and over and over again that that we are not saved by works of the law, but rather by, by grace, through faith, we are saved. Faithful. To be faithful literally means that we are full of faith. Well, how then do you become filled up with faith? You get filled up with faith by the Holy Spirit. And and where do you have access to the Holy Spirit? But through his word and and the sacraments. In God's word, let's open up our Bibles more because that's the conduit through which the Holy Spirit promises to flow through and into our souls. To remember our baptisms daily. That God has called us with a new name the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and marked us as as one redeemed by Christ crucified and washed us clean and adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters to come to the Lord's Supper and share in the fellowship, the connection with the very real participation with the presence of Christ and the fellowship with each other and through prayer. Those are all ways that the Holy Spirit grows his place in our lives to let him awaken and keep our faith ready. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of us. Faithful. And then Jesus says, wise. Wisdom, according to Keller, is competency with regard to the complex realities of life. It's a lifelong walk of faith, growing deeper and deeper, rooted further and further into the word of God. And wisdom of God seems like foolishness to the world. Because it's a wisdom that knows that in weakness, there is strength. In death, there is life. And the lost shall be found. Wisdom is built on the word of God. Godly wisdom. Godly wisdom views the world through the lens of the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and parousia, promised return of Jesus. Godly wisdom celebrates what is to come. Let the Spirit of God awaken and keep you walking further and further in wisdom. And then, as we wait for this coming, Jesus has called, equipped, sent, and restored us to do something. He's called us to care. As we await 
there's two great things that we are to do. The two greatest things that we could do is love God and love one another. Jesus teaches that the wise and faithful servant has been called, equipped, sent, and restored to feed his master's household. Until the master returns, the faithful slave occupies himself with caring for and nurturing the members of the family. Now, one interpretation of this is that this is directed to to pastors and and lay leaders of the church that, that they're to take care of and feed God's people. But I would say that as we are all priesthood of all believers, that we all have this task to go and feed those in need, to care for the needs of others, to be genuinely curious about the needs of others and to feed his sheep. I know that in the past couple of years, our family has been fed well by St. Luke's. A great many people who have reached into our home and brought care and love, and we're incredibly grateful for that. It feels great feeding, and it feels great to feed. So thank you. And I would throw this out, that if you see somebody who does have a need, I challenge you not to say, what can I do for you? Because when you do that, you put the, the, the burden on the person who's already hurting to come up with the solution, but oftentimes the solution isn't inside them. <laughs> But instead, be genuinely curious. Learn about what their specific need is. And then as best as you are able, start to fill that need. That's exactly what Christ did for us, right? He didn't wait for us to realize, oh my goodness, I'm sinful, I need God. But while we were still sinners, Christ came, knowing our need before we even did. He knew that need was to take the punishment from our sin off of our shoulders and put him on his as he was on the cross. And Jesus perfectly and completely accomplished that. Helping and healing us before we even knew we were sick. Let the Holy Spirit this week keep you awake and ready by filling you with faith and leading you in wisdom. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we we love and adore you. You are absolutely amazing. We pray that you would remind us continually that we need to know that you are coming back, that your son is returning and he is bringing the richness and fullness of your kingdom as he comes. And it'll catch us off guard when we're not expecting it. So help us be alert. Send us the Holy Spirit to flood our hearts, to grow our faith, to lead us in wisdom, that we would be prepared and, and ready when he comes. And as we wait, that you would help us serve well, being genuinely curious about the needs of others and empower us to fill those needs. We pray this all in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.